Hello, once again, welcome back to the Super Greenwave Podcast. I'm Nat. And this is Tom Helmuth, and this is the podcast where we bring you uh, video game music, both originals and remixes. Um, and each week we choose a theme and play you music related to that theme. Um, so, so yeah, how are you doing this week, Nat? I'm doing well. Um, not much going on. Good, good. Yeah, I don't have too much going on either. I've been reviewing some music in the little free time I have, but uh, nothing in particular jumps to my mind. So, uh, anything we should cover? Oh, I guess uh, we should tell about our website and email and stuff. Um, if you want to check us out, you can uh, find us on our website, uh, which is podcast.rainwave.cc. Um, there you can comment and download shows and find track lists. Um, and you can also email us if you have any questions or uh, want to share tracks or anything like that. You can email us at uh, podcast at rainwave.cc. I think that's about it. All right, great. Um, so this week, uh, our theme is going to be Commodore 64 soundtracks. Um, which should be interesting. Um, we decided to only play soundtracks this week, so no remixes. Uh, and I think it will really give us an interesting look into uh, what makes the uh, Commodore 64 interesting um, and the, the sounds that it, it produces. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't see it talked about that much lately, which is strange because I thought it was a pretty popular chiptune system. Right, right. I, I actually haven't seen it uh, played much on other uh, video game music podcasts, and so I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to dive in and uh, talk about some of the great music on the system, and uh, and there we go. Um, so why don't we get into some more some music, and then uh, we can talk a little bit more about uh, the sound chip and things like that. Um, I'm going to be starting us off with a track from the game Delta. This is the main theme, um, and this was composed by Rob Hubbard. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Super Rainwave podcast. That song was uh, the main theme from the game Delta, composed by Rob Hubbard. Um, Rob Hubbard is definitely one of the uh, better known Commodore 64 composers. Um, I think this uh, this track in particular shows a lot of uh, a lot of his style that you typically hear in his tracks, um, and and also just tracks on the Commodore 64 in general. Um, the Commodore 64 had, I think, only three different sound channels, um, and because of that, the the uh, composers had to use the same sound channel for to play a bunch of different notes, um, and that led to a lot of composers using uh, arpeggio, uh, arpeggios to sort of emulate the playing of chords. So, like, in this track, uh, a lot of the the background music behind the main melody is tracks that are jumping all over, or, um, sorry, are notes that are jumping all over the place and that's sort of uh, trying to emulate the chords that you'd hear if it could play more sounds at the same time. Are you sure it really had that few sound channels? That's what it says on uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I don't know, I'm not... That seems weird. I, I'm sure I hear more in some of these songs. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it definitely sounds. Some of them sound like they have more. So I'm not. I'm not sure that that's true, but um, that's what Wikipedia is claiming. Huh. I mean, in any case, this song certainly sounds like it has a lot going on in it. You can just hear all of this stuff in the background if you listen closely. And yeah. there's just a. a ton of effects and everything, it really showcases what, what Sid Chip can do. Right, right. The, um, it almost, the, that sort of high-pitched background thing sort of sounds like it's supposed to be, a some sort of high-pitched percussion instrument, almost like, a, a I don't know, a tambourine or something being shaken in the background. I, I don't know exactly what, but it's, it's an interesting, uh, sound effect in there. It is. But I, I really like the melody in this track. Um, it's interesting, a lot of the songs that we'll be playing today I think are a bit on the longer side, um, and a lot of them have more influence uh, from like electronic music in the 80s and 90s. Um, and because of that, the a lot of them don't have a very prominent, at least a lot of the tracks I'm playing don't have as prominent of melodies, um, and more just have slow build-ups and things like that. Um, but this track has a really nice melody um, that that keeps the track driving, and, and I like it a lot for that. Yeah, actually this next track is one of those ones that has kind of a long build-up. This one's from a pretty obscure game, to the point that I cannot find a single thing about it. <laughs> That's so, interesting. It's called Sphere Brain. It's... all I know is that it was released in 1995. Which is why no one knows about it, I guess, because it's so late. Yeah. Um, I can't find any gameplay or anything, so I don't have much perspective, but it was composed by uh, Taro and Tony Hilpinen, uh, Germans, I suppose. It's, it's pretty cool, really electronic music, uh, so I'm going to play the introduction.
You're listening to the introduction theme from the game Sphere Brain, uh, composed by Taro and Tony Hilpinen. Like I said, pretty obscure, but I think it's a really cool theme, the way it sort of builds up and then has that quiet bridge. Uh, there's a lot of subtlety going on. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a lot of Commodore 64 tracks are very constant throughout. Like, I think the, the Delta song I played is very constant. Um, like in in the uh, both the tempo and the uh, dynamics, but this this track had interesting dynamics in it. Like the had that really quiet introduction, and then has uh, the bridge section that uh, also quiets things down, and is only really playing a single voice. And then it has the more uh, up tempo and more energetic parts to it as well that that make things really interesting. And this track also, I think, showcases the arpeggios so well, because there's always something being arpeggiated to try and create a fourth voice. Right, exactly, exactly. Alright, um, so let's go into my next track. The I'm going to also be playing a track from a relatively unknown game. Um, this is going to be from the game Gordian Tomb, uh, which was composed by Thomas Detert. Or Detert? I don't know. It also sounds like a German name. Um, a lot of these composers are Western, either European or American. Um, so anyway, this this soundtrack was sort of interesting. Um, the entire game had a 32-minute limit to it, um, so you could only play for 32 minutes. Um, and it had a 32-minute soundtrack that was one single song that played the entire time, but it has a bunch of different sections, um, so I ended up taking that 32-minute track and uh, cutting it up into, I think, about 10 or 12 different songs, if you will. Um, so this is going to be uh, uh, one of the parts of the main BGM, and uh, this is the one I'm calling BGM Part 6.
welcome back to the Super Rainwave podcast. That was BGM Part 6 uh, by Thomas Deterte from Gordian Tomb, um, obviously for the Commodore 64. Um, so it sounds like this game is sort of a uh, platformer um, where you have to collect objects that you need to get past certain areas. Um, sounds pretty generic, um, but I think the, the soundtrack definitely uh, takes it and takes it from a generic game to something much more interesting. Honestly, I thought the time limit sounded kind of cool for those days. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the the time limit does sound interesting. It, like when you start the game, you know you only have thirty two minutes to to beat the game, um, which sounds short in these days standards, but I'm sure was. Uh, well, back in those days, you didn't have the right. internet. You'd spend a week trying to beat it. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the music's... I mean, the whole song, soundtrack, whatever you're going to call it, is just has so much variation to it. Even in this track, you hear a lot of that. You know, it goes from this kind of up-tempo, happy sound to the end. Those, those chords get pretty big sounding. Right, right. And throughout a lot of this part of the uh, track, there's those um like right there that drum sound it sort of sounds like um maybe some toms that are being hit down a drum kit um i always thought that sounded pretty cool it's i think it's just a really creative composer but yeah i don't know there's not much going on aside from those little tricks right right and it it, it has a nice uh nice melody that's actually pretty short but uh but he, he mixes it up and the different sections have sort of different backgrounds and it, it keeps things interesting i love this part it's like a little drum solo right there right right <laughs> let's see well next up um i was surprised you weren't playing anything from uh, chris Hulesbeck. i know he just missed the cut i think um so i'm glad you are yeah, I was looking through, and I it was really torn because he has such a a broad catalog on this console. He did everything. Um, but what jumped out at me that I think most people don't listen to that much was the R-Type theme. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty long running series. I think it's actually still around. But uh, the Commodore theme just really showcases what he could do with a sound chip. So this is off the uh, recent R-type, R-Type Themes EP, and this is the uh, original sound version of Commodore 64.
Welcome back. That was the uh, Commodore 64 version of the R-Type main theme by Chris Fieldsbeck. Uh, I love that riff at the beginning and the very end that kicks things off. I don't yeah. know why, but it just... every time it gets me. But yeah, no. Right when it played there at the end, I was like, oh, that's really neat. The, uh, that... Uh, those few notes and then the, like, sound that, that makes it, uh... It, I don't know what it's supposed to sound like, but it's really interesting. Yeah, but I think it's cool because it's it's a really busy song, but it doesn't sound crowded. Yeah, definitely. Um, and another song with dynamics, like those little bits right there. I don't know, I just think it's it's cool how in just two minutes he fits so much into it. Right, I think he does a good job here of... Um, he has those classic Commodore 64 arpeggios, but... When, then often when he's playing the main melody, they're not too much in your face. They, they stay out of the way and uh, come in the background when you need them, but sometimes they they drop out so that the main melody shines through a bit more. Um, yeah, he doesn't rely on the arpeggios uh, like, as for every melody. Right, right. Some composers can be a little bit bad about. Totally. And there's yeah. also there's some good use of like point-counterpoint during these sections. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, great, so I'm going to go to another uh, very well-known Commodore 64 composer. Um, this is going to be a song from Joran Tell, um, who is a Dutch composer. Um, he is famous for a lot of different uh, soundtracks uh, of this era. Um, but I'm going to be playing from... Uh, Turbo Outrun, which is was actually adapted um, from the arcade for a lot of different home consoles. Um, this is obviously the Commodore 64 version. Um, and so this is going to be the title theme.
welcome back to the Super Rainwave podcast. That last song was the title from Turbo Outrun, composed by Joran Tell. Um, this song and this soundtrack uh, were actually lauded back in the day as being a good soundtrack. This soundtrack won the Best Music on an 8-Bit Computer 1989 award um, at the European Computer Trade Show. So, uh, it's, uh, this music was definitely known when it came out as being good. Um, it's, it's an interesting track in that there's a lot of samples in there, both the voice samples that are throughout it, um, but I think also the, a lot of the percussion, both the, um, both the normal percussion and the toned percussion, uh... Like this woodlock right here? Yeah, those definitely sound sampled. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because you don't hear that a lot on the Commodore 64. Uh, you can just tell, I mean, he had fun with this song. I think that really shines through. Those chords at the start, I was thinking it was going to be this big rock song, like something out of rock and roll racing or something. Right. And then the distorted, um, the way those samples that loop and build up really fast almost sound like something out of modern electronic music. Right, right. There's even, like, some sounds that, like, sound like he's trying to emulate a, a DJ scratching a record or something. Yeah, like there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that he, he figured out how to throw those in, because you totally don't hear that in, in old 8-bit uh, music very often. Yeah, I bet technically this is probably a huge achievement, and that's why it was so lauded. Right, right, exactly. Um, and anyway, that obviously the Outrun uh, series is known for their music. Um, like the original Outrun uh, for Genesis uh, has some of my favorite music on. Really, Genesis? Yeah, I really like the Genesis version. I don't know. What, what's your favorite version? I've got to go with Arcade, I think. You think the Arcade? I don't it just know why. It's most faithful. Yeah, that's true, but I, I, I really like the Genesis version for some reason, I'm not sure why. <laughs> but, I mean, they're all good, so it's it's great to see that um, this iteration of the the series also had good music. Let's see, let's go back actually to another composer we played earlier. I was sort of back and forth on whether to play another Rob Hubbard song, but I decided that this one is just... There's enough to talk about with it that it really warrants playing it here. Sure. This is probably his most... I'd say it's most well-known song from a game Monty on the Run. Yes. Um, this one... I think everyone's heard it at some point, but it is... It's just amazing what he does. It's like six minutes long, but he throws in every progressive rock, over-the-top thing he can think of. And it... It just works so well. Uh, sure. Let's just play it now and we'll talk about it later. Sounds good.
I love that hit. Uh, yeah. Welcome back. You're listening to the uh, main theme from Monty on the Run, composed by Rob Hubbard. Um, this is just the most ridiculous track I think we're gonna play today because he's. This is totally like a progressive rock or metal track from 1980s. Totally. And, and it's it's still going. Like we we had to fade it out, but like there's still a crazy guitar solo going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way he composed these solos is ridiculous. It sounds like... I don't even know what it sounds like. I can't really pin down a certain musician for it. Right, right. Yeah, the, the earlier guitar solo and then there is a drum solo for a while. Those were uh, really interesting and this this beginning is so weird. Yeah, you think it's gonna be like another sphere brain type thing where it's all spacey. Right. And then I actually always thought uh, this intro here, and then the intro, like, the first section with a melody, almost sounds more like a violin than a guitar. Hmm, interesting, yeah. I don't know, but if you listen here in a second, after a few more bars, I can almost hear this being like a string arrangement. Sure. Like this part? Yeah. Yeah, no, I could totally hear this as a, a violin. It'd be really cool to hear a violin remixing this. Has no one done that yet? I don't know of any in particular, but that'd be really neat. Um, I uh, I really like this song and also the the sequel, or at least one of the games in the series, uh, Off Feeders End, Monty has another really good track that's another super length, um, sort of proggy track by uh, Rob Hubbard and Ben Daglish. So if you like this, you should check that one out too. Yeah, it's definitely cool stuff. Um, one other thing that jumped out at me is that We've been talking a lot about arpeggios so far. This song doesn't really use them as much during verses. Right, right, yeah. Definitely is has fewer arpeggios. Um, I know some a little later, but but definitely not as heavily used as a lot of the other tracks we've been playing. Yeah, in bridge and in the solos, he he uses them to effect, but it's a lot more pure sounding, I guess here. Right. Though, I think there's some arpeggios in the in the. Um, the main instrument in, in that section just there, but uh, but yeah. then a lot of the other sections are more pure. Alright, um, so let's go on to my next track, which is going to be from the game Turrican, um, which was a well-known series for the Commodore 64. Um, so this is going to be the title track, which was composed by uh, Vince DiCola and Romero, Ramiro Vaca.
Welcome back to the Super Rainwave podcast. That last song was uh, the title theme from Turrican. Um, and I said that it was composed by Vince DiCola and Ramiro Vaca. Um, I'm seeing some other places say that uh, Chris Hulsbeck and Stefan Hartwig also worked on the game. So I'm not sure exactly uh, who composed this track, but I'm pretty sure it's one of those guys. Um, this track is interesting because it there are certain parts of it that have a darker feel to me that um, sound sort of grim, but then I think the other parts, like the, the chorus, have a bit more uplifting, a bit more happy of a sound to it. Um, so it's, it's interesting because you get that sort of dance beat, but then things are a bit dark. Um, and I think there's sort of a run and gunner type game, in which uh, sort of makes sense why it's a little darker. Um, but it, it, those different transitions, um, I, I, I really liked those. Yeah, it's... I mean, every section just sounds like something out of an action movie, like a montage or something. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I think musically it's just... it has a great sound of a melody. Um, there's this part, like, halfway through where he just adds this really um, weird kind of reverby effect to the melody that sounds great. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't know, it's not a track that really spoke to me that much beyond just being fun. Yeah, it's it's a fun track and I'm guessing it, it had a set a nice tone for, for the type of game it was. So, yeah, it's good. Let's see, I actually have another pretty obscure one next. I've been trying to find more about it. It's, it's called Halifax, the game. Um, apparently it was published by the same company that published Gordian Tomb, uh, someone called C.P. Verlag, or Veriag, or something. Hmm. Um, I guess it was developed by someone called Onyx Design, which is also uh, the only composer tag I have for it. Okay. So whoever Onyx Design is, they, uh, good for them. Hmm. Um, it's another one that's just kind of... It's fun BGM. It's a little more laid back than the Turrican music, so it should be a nice change of pace. Uh, this is the main, the main background music.
That was the main BGM from the game Halifax, uh, composed by uh, somebody named Onyx Design. Mm. Don't know who that is. Um, main reason I like this song is because the first section with that really thumping bass line, it's like a funk track. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, the, uh, this track has a lot of different sections, um, and it definitely mixes things up quite a bit, which is really nice. Yeah, you know, it starts out like this, and it's got a really deep groove, and then later on it's almost more like... Uh, kind of like the Delta track from the beginning of a show, just with a lot of stuff going on. Right, right. The, um... The different sections almost have different flavors to them, um, in a nice way. It's, I definitely... I think that if you're playing this game, it would keep things interesting, since you're uh, probably hearing it a lot to to get different sections that are coming in and changing and everything. Yeah, I think that it's it's not unlikely this is the same G as Gordian Tomb's composer, just because of that feel. Right, right, exactly. The um, and some of the chord changes and the use of uh, the way. He the composer uses arpeggios here definitely feels a lot like the Gordian Tomb track, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, uh, again, Thomas de Tert. And then other sections of that soundtrack had sort of these similar effects, like at the very end there's this pitch bend that just comes out of nowhere and it gets really abstract in this one. Sure. And I think I heard something like that late in the Gordian Tomb track. Right, right. But it's interesting stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a there's a a nice track that I wasn't uh, very aware of. I'm glad you played this. Um, so I'm going to be playing another uh, well-known Commodore 64 artist. Um, there's going to be a track by Matt Gray, um, and there's going to be from the game Dominator, which was sort of a side-scrolling um, shooter game. Uh, so this is going to be Subtune Two.
All right, welcome back to the Super Rainwave podcast. That last song was Subtune 2 from Dominator by Matt Gray. Um, this track has that constant riff going on in the background that whole time, um, which, if it weren't done correctly, I think it could get annoying after a while. But I feel like he mixes it up and sometimes drops it out and sometimes manipulates it a bit. Um, and in a way that keeps it interesting throughout the whole song. Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm usually not big on tracks that do that, because there are quite a few games on the Commodore that have that feel. They have, like, a low, distorted riff that runs as a rhythm guitar or something. Right. Um, I think here it works alright, though. Yeah, it's it's interesting, because, like, some of the, the main melody sort of sounds like it's being played by a rock guitar, but then... Other parts of the song, like the the background music and and the drums, sound a little more like a, he's trying to emulate a techno track or something like that. Um, so it's a, an interesting combination. It is. Um, it's just. I think that because of that riff that goes on, it feels like there's not much variety. But in the lead, it actually changes up quite a bit. Right. Right. Probably my favorite part was that breakdown that comes up here in a minute. Yeah, yeah, the breakdown's nice. Um, yeah. Matt, Great. Matt Gray was... You said he was the last ninja, right? Yeah, he did Last Ninja 2. Um, he did uh, one of the Dizzy games, I think. Treasure Island Dizzy. Um, and then this, and I hadn't, haven't really heard of most of the other games he's worked on, actually. I was surprised because, you know, I thought the name would stick in my mind more. Right, right. I guess I, I got to know, know him through, um, especially through Dominator, which uh, the this game has a few other good tracks on it, um, and then Last Ninja 2, and so those are the, the two main games I know him from. Huh. Let's see. For this next one, I'm going to cheat and play... It's still a soundtrack... But this one's from a recent title. Um, have you heard of a game, Cannabalt? I have, yeah. I don't know much about it, but I have heard of it. It was this little runner game. Uh, you, you have a character that runs and you tap jump uh, to jump over buildings and stuff. Right. It was really graphically well done. It was all pixel art. And it had a soundtrack by Danny B that was just killer. Cool. Um... So someone, a while ago, decided to convert it and make a Commodore version. You can actually download it and run it in an emulator, or actually buy a cartridge of it. Wow, that's neat. And so it had a whole chiptune soundtrack uh, covered by um, Mikkel Hastrup, also known as Encore, who I guess is somewhat busy in that demo scene stuff. Um, it's a really faithful conversion that just sounds really accurate. I think is cool. So this sure. is um, C64 Anabalt. <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome back. This is um, the theme from the Commodore 64 recreation of the game Cannabalt. This is uh, by Mikael Hastrup or Encore. The regular game's soundtrack was by Danny Benarski or DB Soundworks. I'm not sure what he goes by lately. Or Danny B, I've also said. He goes yeah. by a lot of stuff. <laughs> so. But, I mean, Encore did just a great job of getting everything about that track and turning it into this really deep chiptune sound. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting track because a lot of the sounds are very Commodore 64, but then a lot of the um, the compositional style is totally not Commodore 64 in some ways. Like, um, like he, he, for instance, he doesn't use any arpeggiated sounds in there to, to build chords, and he doesn't... Um, I guess just, just the layering of the sounds just... It doesn't sound like the composers of the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe that's because he was covering a song that didn't really call for it. Exactly. He was able to get what he wanted out of the regular sound, which is so unusual. Right. Um, what jumps out to me is the drums. Yeah, those those drums are crazy. <laughs> that's they're they're so glitchy, which is is such a weird um. It's a it's a weird transposition because you like. Those glitchy drums are totally something that's come up in the last, I don't know, five to ten years. Um, yeah, and in other chip music, I mean, I can think of artists like... Um, oh, I'm trying to think, maybe albums like All You Need Is Love or Walking sure. Straight on Broken Lines that have that glitchy aesthetic. Right, But right, you don't hear definitely. that in, in the Commodore scene at all. Right, right, yeah, and, but it's... He's doing that glitchy music. I think what I don't, I don't know if he's just if this is entirely on the SID chip or if it's um, if he just took out SID sounds and arranged them in a, a different tracker. But man, it sounds like he's using the SID chip. So it'd be really interesting if if he's using the original chip but doing things with it that people just didn't think to do back in the eighties. Yeah, I mean. I'm inclined to say that he's just using samples for his extra effects, but I can't find interviews or anything. Right, it's hard to tell. But yeah, that's a really interesting track. Um, okay, so I'm going to... I have one last track to play. Um, so I'm going to be playing a track from probably one of the more popular uh, Commodore 64 series. Um, this is from uh, the game Last Ninja Remix. Um, there's I think this is sort of the third game in the series. There's Last Ninja and Last Ninja 2, both of which uh, had popular soundtracks. Um, so anyway, this is... Last Ninja Remix, I think, is... The whole game is sort of a remix of Last Ninja 2, um, including, I think, the music is is some remixed and some original, um, but it's, it's a really nice soundtrack. Uh, this was composed by Rain Owe... Oh, man, I've never had to pronounce his name before. I think it's Rain Owehand. Uh, I'm probably butchering that. Um, but this is going to be the track The Street.
All right, welcome back to the Super Rainwave podcast. That was The Street from Last Ninja Remix uh, by Rain Oahand. Um, this is always uh, one of the the tracks from Last Ninja, the series that I that I always enjoyed. Um, it doesn't have anything maybe in particular about it that that sets it apart, but I I really like the melody. Um, and and how there are different parts of the track that get quiet and then loud again, and um, just seems like a, a really dynamic piece that, that has interesting elements to it. Yeah, I can't pinpoint anything in particular, but I've always preferred his work on the Last Ninja series. He did uh, Last Ninja Free as well. Right. And I always thought those were stronger musically than the other two. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, it also... Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's why it occurred to me, because his were one of the few soundtracks on the Commodore that had, like, 10 or 15 songs in it. Right, yeah, and we were just talking about it while, uh, while we were listening. We're not sure why um, most Commodore soundtracks only consist of one song um, that I think was often played during the title screen, and then when you're actually playing the game, it was usually just silence with uh, sound effects. Um either that or they'd have like one song for each. I think most soundtracks probably had three tracks maybe. Sure, yeah, but uh, most of them are quite limited and um, but it's it's unclear why when so certain soundtracks like Last Ninja and uh, the um, Gordian Tomb and things like that had quite long soundtracks. So I don't know why why those those most other games had quite limited soundtracks. I guess that'd be also why... Because NES or Game Boy, you have 45-second loops on long songs most of the time, and That's Commodore true. or Amiga, you have loops that last five minutes. That's true, yeah. I guess I, I didn't really think about it that way. When when you're using a, a single... Uh, like, five minutes for a single song, then it, it makes it hard to fit other songs if you have uh, similar limitations to to the NES or Game Boy. Um, and I think, actually, so the Commodore 64 is a bit older than the NES, I think. Um, it was released in 82. Do you know when uh, the NES came out? In America, 85. Famicom, I believe, was 83. Yeah, so I guess it's about the same time as the Famicom. Um, but of course it was, in some ways, designed to be more versatile. as is designed as a home computer instead of a, a, a video game system. and. I think because of that, probably wasn't as designed for doing um, having large games with large soundtracks as as the Nintendo was. That's a possibility. So. Going back to the song, I mean, listening to it again, background here, it's, I like that effect on the melody where it sort of doubled. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. But there's nothing. Most songs I could. I could say more about them, but this one just sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice track. Um, if you like uh, Rain Oahand, he he actually does um, has done some covers of some Commodore 64 tracks using live instruments, um, and you can find those. Uh, we have them on covers on Rainwave, or you can. I think he has some YouTube videos of him performing them live. Um, I, I remember watching one where he was the only one performing the instruments, but he he 
while he was playing live, he recorded certain ones and then added in loops and uh, different effects to the loops and and took stuff out and add stuff in. So he, he does a good, uh, really interesting cover of some uh, some of the old tracks. So it's right. definitely worth looking into. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I've never seen the his videos, but those one man shows of looping pedals can be so impressive. Right, yeah, I definitely recommend, I th I'd uh, look up Whizball Live at the Church, uh, is, if you search for that, I'm sure you'll come across it, I remember seeing it a, a bit ago. Um, so I think that was my last track, um, so we just have one more track to go. Um, as, before we do the end of the show business, I just wanted to say, uh, or ask you, do you have anything... They feel like you are the takeaway messages about the Commodore 64 from from this episode. Um, like in terms of music, you mean? Yeah, yeah. What are like? Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like, what are the? What do you think we've sort of found as common denominators or uh, ways that people use the Commodore sound trip interest in interesting ways and things like that? Um, I mean, just general patterns. We were just talking about you have long songs. I mean, I mean Monty on Run. Um, that's like a six-minute loop. Sphere Brain was actually close to six minutes. Um, we didn't have a single song below two minutes. Yeah, uh, that is really interesting. And none of them. I don't think. I don't think any of the songs I played. Uh, maybe one of them uh, had a loop in it, but. Yeah, you're right. These uh, we get a lot of longer songs that are more drawn out and have sort of more of a build to them than you often see with sort of Nintendo games, which often have really good prominent melodies, but they come in right at the beginning of the song, play once through, and then and then you get a loop. So I, I think that's a really good point. I think part of that also comes down to just what the Sid chip was capable of compared to the basic NES hardware, because um, NES or Game Boy or actually I can't think of many systems at all from Chiptune era that could do any atmospheric noise. Mm, the, sure. noise the noise channel on most consoles was way too noisy, you only used it for drums. But right. the Commodore had you could do these long build ups with that sort of ambient electronic sound. And I think that contributes maybe to the styles they used. Um it's go ahead. Sure, and I think I think it is partly also the influence of uh, the types of music that the composers were interested in. So uh, I think all of the uh, composers that we've played today are Western composers, um, mostly yeah. European composers. Yeah, I believe they probably are almost entirely from Europe, Western Europe mainly. Um, yeah. And that goes back, the Commodore was not an American console. It had some success here, but... I believe it was based in Europe, that Europe was a much more PC-centric market in the 80s and early 90s. Right, right. There's a lot of uh, English composers, a lot of uh, Dutch composers and German composers, and um, I think the types of music they were listening to in the 80s were, were more those uh, techno and electronic sounds, uh, sounding music, where a lot of the Japanese composers were probably listening to totally different music. Um, and had a lot different of influences uh, going into their music. Yeah, and we've talked in the past, because a lot of these composers, they weren't 
Nowadays, you have to compose, oh, okay, this is gonna be a battle in the forest, we have to have a certain sound. Oh, this is snow music, we have to have uh, a jingly snow sound. Sure. Back then, we talked about Tim Fallon in another episode. He just wrote what he felt like writing, and they paid him for it. Right, and I'm sure that's a lot like uh, a lot of these soundtracks, where especially those that only have a few songs, the same BGM is used throughout every level in the game, no matter what the level is like. So it has to be more more generic in that way. Yeah, so they might know, okay, Turrican has action music because it's an action game, but probably, you know, Hillsback or um, Vaka or whoever's composing for it just wrote music based on the rock music they were familiar with, or EDM was pretty big in Europe at the time, I believe. Someone probably right. tracked me on that. No, I, I think so, yeah. I think the electronic music was very popular um, in Europe at the time. Um, and I think uh, another thing, so sorry, uh, we've talked more about the sort of the big picture, but I think uh, looking specifically at composition techniques, I think they really uh, did a good job of taking this machine that had very limited resources, uh, very few sound channels that they had to work with, um, and they did a good job of, of creating interesting sounds with that by doing things like using arpeggios a lot of the time or using dynamics and having uh, different parts of songs have different contrasting dynamics. Um, so I think I think that was something that they did to uh, work within their limitations and, and make interesting music. And you know what's really striking about that is that I think this music sounds generally bigger than um, even the more expanded NES and Game Boy soundtracks, because even then, Konami could use, you know, six channels or so, and they had these soundtracks that still were pretty basic. The SID chip, you had to use tricks to get more than three, and that was right. usually at the expense of certain capabilities. But they learned how to use certain things. They could arpeggiate sounds to bounce between instruments so they could get more than one sound at once, or they could juggle them and have one lead go back and do percussion during a solo. I mean, there's... it was a really intricate sort of juggling act. Yeah, I think there's sort of almost sort of a hacking culture um, in in the Commodore 64, both programmers. I mean, these guys all had to be programmers as well as musicians because they're programming the music onto the computer. I think they they had probably sort of like a a very uh, hacker atmosphere where they're like trying out different tricks and sharing tricks of the trade and um, it it definitely feels like they were trying to push the envelope push the system as hard as they could to get as interesting of sounds as they could could muster out of the system. And then you still see there are several of these people who started doing remixes or they became sort of accessible in the VGM community. Um, right. I believe Hubbard at some point did some of that. I know Hulspec has a Bandcamp page. He did a Reddit AMA like a month ago. Uh, he's really out there and public. Sure. And like Ray Noahand was, uh, has done, as I said, some covers. Um, interestingly, we didn't play any uh, Fullen Brothers tracks. I know they've they did some compositions uh, from the Commodore 64, but they obviously also then crossed over into uh, the NES and and other systems. Yep, I actually thought about Tim Fallon, but 
he didn't do that much on the Commodore. I think the only ones that jumped out at me was probably Ghouls and Ghosts. Sure, yeah, he, I guess they were a bit more limited on the Commodore. Um, they did good work, though, but they only had so much room. Right, right. Um, other things that jumped out from this music, you know, contrasting Encore's song, which was written, like, three years ago, to the rest of this, I thought it was just an interesting source of perspective. Oh yeah, definitely. I was really glad you played that, and it it showed how uh, even with sort of modern day sensibilities, you could use the Commodore sounds to um, to definitely make an make an interesting song. And in both that and the old songs, I think the one really common thread that every song had was a lot more reliance on the low end than any other chiptune console. Sure. Did you notice that? Like, there was always yeah. a rhythm section, it, like in that uh, Matt Gray tune that you played earlier. Right. It had that looping thing, and it was deeper than an NES or an Amiga song would be. Yeah, yeah, There's you definitely have either more prominent, prominent bass line or uh, drum parts that are in these tracks than, than you'd usually see in uh, most other systems. And that's the other thing. I think the drum parts were a little more complicated. You know, you had room for accents or little solos. Right, right, definitely. Well, good. Um, I think that's I'm, enough talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we uh, we had this Commodore 64 focus and uh, found some cool stuff about it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, um, so I guess we're at the end of the show. Um if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at uh, podcast at rainwave.cc. Um, you can visit our website at podcast.rainwave.cc, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for the Super Rainwave Podcast. Yeah, I imagine there will be some corrections since we talked way more of his time, and I'm not super familiar with the European music scene. Right, right, yeah, and it's, it's for some of these games, it's hard to pin down who actually composed um, some of these games. So it's we we definitely may have gotten a few things wrong, but we did our best. Um, next episode, we decide on. We're gonna. I think we're gonna focus on the SQ albums. Yeah, I think that sounds good. And which I actually don't know too much about. I think you've reviewed a lot of the uh, the chiptune SQ albums. Um, yeah, I've listened. There's both the SQ chips albums, which are amazing. There's there's also a series of Final Fantasy chips, which I'd say are in the same vein. Yeah, I, I think we should include those in in the what's available for next episode. There was also um, a little less noteworthy, but there was a Dragon Dragoon chips album. Okay, cool. Um, and then obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but they there's some uh, non-chiptune albums that they've put out, um, which and I I I don't even know who who do you know who's putting these albums out? Uh, they're official. They're Square Enix. The Square Enix is is the one doing it. Cool. So so that'll be cool. It'll be a lot of official arrangements, and uh, that should be a a fun a fun focus. Yeah, it's. I think it's something that's a little. I mean, these albums are pretty popular now, but in general, people don't pay attention to the official arrangements so much. Right. Yeah, definitely. At least, 
Uh, at least here in the in North America, I, th I think they're probably more popular in Japan these days. Yeah, in Japan, they're more prone to have concerts and stuff, at least right. based on what I've heard. Um, let's see. So I have one more track for us. I decided to go back. Um, you played Turrican 1 earlier. I'm going to play Turrican 2. Good. Uh, this soundtrack, entirely composed by Chris Hulsbeck, who I think did just an amazing job on some of these. I actually wanted to play one song, but I decided eight minutes was a little much. <laughs> That's a little long, yeah. <laughs> Um, but this was probably my second favorite. Um, this song is called Traps. Um, the reason I picked this one was because it has a really unusual feel to it. The way the groove bounces back and forth, you don't hear very much. It's usually a lot more straight on than this, which I think goes back to the electronic music prevalence, which was always four on the floor, really straight ahead. Sure. So, um, take a listen to this, so let us know what you think. And we will see you next time. All right. Hope you enjoyed it. See you later.